0: Hi, I'm Graham Aubrey. You're listening to Resonance <coughs> FM. Because you're with it? Because you're with it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've turned it too far now. Turn it too far. Imagine me what I'm like my I drink beer.
1: This is The Bike Show here on Resonance FM with me Jack Thurston. Welcome to the bike show here on Resonance FM and aren't you happy it's summertime we lost that hour on Saturday night Sunday morning but it's worth it for those longer evenings and now is the time when we all must put our minds to thinking about going for a bike ride going for a bike ride during the day or going for a bike ride during the night Um, as you know if you're a regular listener to the bike show I love riding my bicycle at night whether it's the Dunwich Dynamo or Midnight Madness, the Midsummer Night's bike ride to the top of Primrose Hill that happens every year or any other variety of night ride. A night ride is a good ride, if you ask me. And with me in the studio to talk about a really, really exciting night ride that's coming to London is Sergei Nikitin. Sergey, welcome to the show.
2: Hi. Hi, everybody.
1: And Sergey, you are the mastermind behind a night ride called Velo Notte, or in its English translation, Velo Night. It's going to be part of the London Festival of Architecture this year. Tell us more.
2: That's it. Uh, well, is uh, is something between a synergy between the love and passion for the night, first of all, and romantic bike drive, uh, and also, of course, the passion for architecture and history, and this is what brings together this. Two different things is Velonotte, which is which is can be also called uh, a very big excursion for many many people, because actually the last edition in Moscow had more than seven thousand people coming, and we expect this year to have twelve thousand people <laughs> in Moscow. And we were asked by London Festival of Architecture to come to London, and we are very happy and emotional about coming and making this, organizing this huge. Round for the East End, uh, marbles, and marvels, uh, and both uh, historical, architectural, and of course also things that happen now—not only the Olympics, but other things also as well.
1: Okay, well, let's go through some of the basic format of the event. So it's going to be in the night. It's going to be a lot of people on the bikes, on bikes, going around interesting sites and places that are interesting now or interesting because of what they were in the past or what they might be in the future. But the way in which Resonance is going to be involved is through a simultaneous broadcast on FM to everybody who's taking part in a ride who will be carrying along with them, hopefully, a small FM radio.
2: Exactly, and headset.
1: On a headset. Okay, so tell us how the radio fits in with the night ride.
2: Yes, that was actually born in uh, the idea was born in Rome when we were doing our first event abroad three years ago. We needed to provide information to many many people because it was about nine hundred people that wanted to participate, and the idea came naturally to ask a local uh, communist uh, broadcaster to be with us. Uh, he later flew. And never participated, but uh, we constructed a small pirate station and we brought it uh, with us. And the speakers was speaking, addressing the the, the public um, using this uh, small pirate radio station. We later do uh, done it with majors uh, uh, in other cities, and we are happy to do it with Resonance FM because it's um, it's it's a big just a big radio for us and. Um, Mm, The way that we have this bunch of um, star speakers, let me use this adjective, like Peter Ackroyd, like um, Richard Rogers, like... um uh, Peter Murray and other friends of us, Linda Hurst from Trinity Laban, who are telling the stories, who are telling the stories. And when we reach one or the other side, we're asking them to, to talk and they uh, explain to us what is happening before us. And we also provide fantastic normally provide fantastic music, fantastic soundtrack to help to concentrate on the beauty. Or to meditate, always a beauty. Or just to get, uh, you know, a, a good punch of rhythm to drive better. <laughs>
1: so the, the the duration of the ride is about how long? How many hours?
2: Well, it's about six hours, but it's a very relaxed ride. We started around St. Paul um, and we finish, um, we, we go, you know, we visit um, almost all barrows, famous barrows of the East End. We arrive also to the Olympics site, and then we go down and uh, we'll make a picnic at the London Pleasure Gardens and Student String Orchestra of Trinity Laban um, College.
1: So you're going to have a, a, a string orchestra there? Yes, wow. well, it's
2: we'll, uh, going to meet us at the dawn at 444. That's exactly the midsummer dawn because it's 23, it's the day after 22. And they're going to play for us uh, some music about light, time, because it's all about light and time.
1: And so while this is happening, there'll be a simultaneous broadcast from Resonance FM, which, in fact, I think I will be anchoring here. It's a shame because I'd like to be going on the ride, but
2: I'll be be playing my part.
1: (laughs) Well, maybe we can do it in shifts. We could have a, a, a first half shift and a second half shift to make that possible. And so there'll be this soundscape going on that you can tune into whether or not, in fact, you're on the ride. So you could be on the other side of the world tuning into resonance and hearing this uh this this ride and sort of taking part in your imagination and hearing the the accounts that are being given of the places that the people are visiting along the way
2: imagination is a very good forward because in fact we used the night and the darkness as a very good power to enhance what is told by the speakers not only the night destroys the feeling that you are you know you don't see a lot of things that are contemporary but it also busts your imagination and it helps a lot when you when you talk about uh, general issues historical issues things that happened
1: yeah there's this very strange feeling you get at night when you feel like you're stealing time uh, from the rest of the world because they're all asleep and you're awake i definitely get that feeling myself and um, whether it's cycling around town in the city where it can become very quiet and almost magical sort of eerie feeling or whether you're in the countryside and you have a very different kind of impression of of the landscape when it's at night Um, it's it's really evocative and um, it's a great it sounds like a great event tell me about the other cities where you've held it you've mentioned rome and moscow where it started yes what else
2: and uh my favorite bike ride happened last year in st petersburg it was uh from the beginning an absolutely adventurous idea because we, we only had two months to get ready normally we we take you know one hour oh, one year and a half to prepare everything but um it it was it was just like you know five hours of the real paradise in spite of the raining it was a heavy rain
1: and this was in summer but it, it doesn't get very dark in st petersburg in the yes, summer in fact, does it? it
2: was a white night uh white night ride. Yeah. this is how we call we call it Villanotte right Pietrogrado grado Piet- Piotograd is the old name of uh, one of the oldest names of St Peter's, Petersburg. And actually, we're going to rebring this Midsummer Night, um, oh, sorry, White Night White Night Ride this year as well. But it was structured because for Saint Petersburg, for the first time, I selected places that I loved very much. I did not make so much research about about this. It was so natural, you know. The route was born um, out in few seconds. I just thought. It can be fantastic too, and we and then we we've we've organized a picnic on the huge roof of the supermarket um, in the Brezhnev area of St. Petersburg and there was a very good band uh, playing soundscape kind of music and of course some people were wakened by the noises of course some people ca- complained and I know the supermarket was later <laughs> taken to the tribunal unfortunately
1: But you're going to do it all above board and legally here in London right because you've got the London Festival of Architecture on your side they're going to want to make sure that everyone's uh, happy with that and the police are happy with that And all the the boroughs are happy with that, and the mayors happy with it.
2: You know, this is this is uh, for me. This is a major one of the major issues because I think um, we need to improve internationally to improve the the quality of driving, the quality of safe driving, cycling. I mean, and also the approach to the cycling communities must be must be uh, must be improved, Mm -hmm. not only by PR but also by delinquents. Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay, well, it's a great way to celebrate the bicycle. Sergey. you're going to stay with us.
0: I'm
2: Indy Merck. You listen to the bicycle show on uh, Resonance 104.4 FM.
1: This past weekend was the second British handmade bicycle show, a.k.a. Bespoked, held um, as it was last time in Bristol... I went along for a couple of hours on Friday and it really was a wonderful range of bikes and we'll be featuring a few of the new young frame builders on the show next week. But among all the polished chrome and bilaminated bling on display, I was drawn, unexpectedly perhaps, to a very simple bicycle called the paper bicycle. And I think it's something that leapt out to me from the hall where I saw it. I thought, what is that doing here? But on reflection, and and having looked at it more closely and talked to a few people about the bicycle, I think it might be a modern classic. And it, it takes a lot for a bicycle, a new bicycle, to impress me. I did speak to its inventor, Nick Lobnitz, and I asked him what was different about the paper bicycle.
3: Fundamentally, what makes these bikes different is they're really nice to ride it's obvious that they look nice but it's about the enjoyment of the ride and that's it's how you lock it up it's how you carry it upstairs it's whether you need to clean it it's what clothes you wear all of that builds to the experience of how you feel when you're riding it's just, yeah, nice to ride nothing more complicated than that and so they're kind of the classic utility type of
1: Dutch bicycle I suppose people would say Dutch or Danish bicycle laid back, upright position, chunky they look like it would be possible yeah. to break one
3: yeah very very much so I mean originally I designed them for Royal Mail as absolutely bomb-proof bikes but they're relaxed everyday use bikes you're meant to ride this every day and it's meant to be a pleasure or else what's the point?
1: But they do look very distinctive and I suppose the most interesting thing about them from a design point of view is this structural chain case tell us about that
3: yeah, the structural chain case came around when I was originally developing it for the Royal Mail. It was crucial to protect the chain from wear and weather. And nowadays my, my own bike is one of these and that's been two years living outside and I haven't lubricated or adjusted the chain since I started using it. So it underlines why chain cases are yeah, kind of useful. But it's more than
1: just a chain case. If we come a little bit closer here, I mean, the interesting thing about it is that there's no seat stay. So as well as protecting the chain, you've you've got a structure here being formed. Um, You know, if you can describe it for for the listeners.
3: The tube follows the line of the chain and then that essentially acts to support the wheel as well. And what's interesting is it's it's actually the chain case design that gives this bike its unique ride qualities that make it such a nice thing to ride because what's happened is the whole centre of gravity of the bike's been lowered so it feels like it's about half the weight that it actually is and you've got a much stiffer frame so from a pedalling point of view it's a really stiff bicycle but the seat post is so long and slender that it gives a really nice springy comfortable ride so you've got a comfy bike that's stiff and you've got a heavy bike that feels really light So where does the stiffness come from? From a pedalling point of view, to give the bike stiffness, the main tube, the down tube, is a two-inch diameter tube, and that works out at about five times stiffer than a traditional diamond frame when you're looking at the connection between the bottom bracket and the wheels. So it's just a case of the large diameter tubes. The stiffness goes up by a cubic function if we're going to get really technical about it. And then it's scaling the seat post so it has the right quality of springiness without being too sort of flexible or sort of unnerving. And are there any other unusual aspects of the design we can take a look at? Absolutely. One of the nice features when I designed this bike, I was living in a flat, sort of three stories up, so I had to be able to carry it and do doors. So the nice feature of the chain sort of stay is that you can lift the bike one handed and carry it in a really natural way. Okay, so you're essentially holding the, um, the
1: far side, the non-drive side of the chain case tube and, and that's a perfect
3: balanced handle there? Absolutely perfectly balanced. It's just on the centre of gravity so you can pick it up one-handed and you have your other hand open, ready to open doors or find your keys or whatever it is. And these great big tubes give you plenty of space to uh, conceal the cable run? Uh, absolutely, con- concealed cables that from a manufacturer's point of view you can pre-assemble them so they just slide through really quickly so it's not only concealed cables that are will last the lifetime of the bike but it's really easy to make How many of these have been made? I think about 2,500 now I'm welding the frames in Taiwan and then the final assembly and sort of bolting them together painting them and everything is done in Scotland just south of Glasgow, I've got a wee workshop there and who's buying them? It's a mixture. I've got one side of them goes to fleet and city use, so a bit like the Boris bikes, uh, last year I sold one and a half thousand, a thousand to Mainz and five hundred to a city called Castle. And then the other side of the coin is people who want to use a bike every day and they're looking for a really refined, civilised, relaxed, upmarket ride. And that's what this bike offers. So it kind of meets two markets.
1: And so, for a consumer wanting to buy one, what would they set them back?
3: Um, you're looking at something for between six hundred and a thousand pounds, depending on how you specify it. And one of the weird things with this bike is, until you've actually bought it and decided what you want in terms of colour, we won't actually build it. Um, so it doesn't really exist until you've become part of the design process and said, "Well, I want it looking like this and with these colours. and this specification
1: well that was nick lobnitz inventor of the paper bicycle and i have to say i thought they were absolutely lovely and i can't wait to take one for a test ride if you're in london you can test ride the paper bicycle at bike fix and also at velarushan well we stay in scotland uh, now regular listeners to the show will know that coming up Uh, next month is the london cycling campaign's big ride on the 28th of april um, just ahead of the mayoral elections well on the same day and i don't know if that's a coincidence we'll find out there's going to be another ride but this one's headed to the scottish parliament Um, the riders are making many of the same demands one of the organizers is sally hinchcliffe and she joins us down the line hi sally hi hi tell us what the pedal on parliament i think that's what it's called is all about
4: yeah, it's, as you said, it, it, it is inspired by the London ride, um, but cycling and transport generally is a devolved matter, so there's no point us all trekking down to London to lobby MPs when it's our MSPs who actually have to be convinced up here. So Dave Brennan, who's a helmet camera cyclist, um, and several other of us decided, got together and had the mad idea that we'd organise one ourselves because we didn't really know how hard it would be. We've been learning the hard way.
1: Yeah, I mean, in a way this is inspired by the series of big rides that have been going on in London with Blackfriars being the first and then there was one with the um, cycle safe debate in the House of Commons. How's it going with the organisation?
4: Well, um, it's, <laughs> it's been a learning curve. We've, we've set up a website called Pedal on Parliament uh, we've had a lot of interest, particularly in Edinburgh, where, as you may have heard, there have been two cyclists killed just since the start of this year and four in the last 12 months, which, when you consider that um, the size of Edinburgh relative to the size of London, is actually quite a poor safety record. Yeah. Um, and Edinburgh, cycling in Edinburgh is, is, is getting really huge now, um, aided by the tram works, which seem to change Edinburgh's street layout every week. But it's not just an Edinburgh thing, it's it's across Scotland. Um, and so really the feeling was that there's been a lot going on in London, but it's not just about London, it's, it's, it's nationwide. And so we just felt we needed to, to give a Scottish voice to, to the calls for safety and, and better cycling facilities as well. It's not purely about safety, but that's obviously the thing that gets people talking and thinking about uh, what the problems are.
1: That's right, and you've got a, a, a manifesto, do you want to talk us through some of the, the the main points of that?
4: Yeah, I mean we started with the Times manifesto, an uh, eight point manifesto, but we kind of got the bit between our teeth. Um, one of the things that's really amazing in the last few months is that Edinburgh City Council has voted to spend 5% of its transport budget on cycling, cycling proper, not just cycling and walking and active travel. So what we just thought we'd do is we'd try and get every other council and the Scottish government as well to match that promise, because they're looking for 10% of cycling by 2020, um, and they've signed up to that as a sort of um, part of their carbon reduction target as a nation. Uh, so the plan was to is, is to sort of draw attention to that. So that's our first demand, is a 5%. I think the times one was for 2%. Um, so we're looking for 5%. Right, so it's much transport. bigger. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, obviously, there's lower speed limits and, you know, better infrastructure because there's really no point spending a huge... You can spend a lot of money um, and not make life any better for cycling, as I think some people in London might have found. So we wanted to, you know, to to make sure that that money goes on really well-designed infrastructure, better-designed roads.
1: Yeah, so you don't want that money to be just painting over the uh, the tram tracks.
4: Oh, no. <laughs> Or, yeah, or just, um, you know, that the we've all seen the facility of the month. Um, yeah. You know, thing that goes into the side of a bus stop and so on. There's there's really no point. So
1: you've got crap cycle lanes north of the border as well?
4: I'm afraid we do. We've got some good ones as well. There's some, some good stuff gone in in, in Glasgow, but um, there's also been a whole motorway put in in Glasgow, so we've, we've got a lot of catching up to do for the bikes.
1: Now, you don't sound Scottish. <laughs>
4: my, <laughs> I've been unmasked yes I, I moved from London up to Dumfries about four years ago Yeah, I'm a refugee
1: and so how is it different cycling in Scotland is it just like cycling in, in England or, or, or is, is there something distinctively Scottish about the way they do it obviously they're dead hard
4: well the weather is different I have to admit the weather is different and there are more hills I made the the, the jump from living practically in zone one in London to living in the middle of nowhere in Dumfries and Galloway. So how much is down to living in a rural area versus living in a capital city is hard to to tell. In the cities, from what I see, from what people are saying on news groups and forums and blogs and so on, the same problems occur. You know, you still got people shouting, people cutting you up, people turning left when you were cycling straight on, and all the usual grievances um and and conflicts that that cyclists have on the other hand maybe there's a there's a slower pace of life or a more relaxed pace of life so um and also there just does seem to be more government willingness
1: yeah i was going to ask about that do you feel like you're getting a better reception from the powers that be than cyclists have previously um in in the uk context
4: yes and no one of the things is um that they do have this commitment to cut carbon emissions in, in, in a really significant way, and that has driven this target of 10% of journeys by bike. But as we all know, bike targets get set and bike targets get quietly shelved when they're, when they're not met. Um, there was a, in the last election for Holyrood, there was a commitment to increase um, spending on active travel year on year as a percentage of the transport budget. And that then, when the budget came out, because of the fourth road bridge, that commitment quietly disappeared, and there was a huge fuss. So there was a, there was a, a protest um, in Holyrood in um, January, where which in fact I attended on a paper bicycle. Um, fantastic! To confirm it is a fantastic ride, and that was to try and reverse the cuts to spending on active travel, and that was successful. Oh, great! So I feel that. you 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 always have to remind politicians that cycling is not just a matter of standing up there and telling people it's a good thing for them to do that it's you know you have to invest in cycling the same way you have to invest in any other kind of transport
1: right so let's talk about the ride Mm -hmm. what are the specifics on the 28th
4: the statistics
1: (laughs) where do people need to go
4: oh yes right well we're gathering in the meadows which if people know Edinburgh is, is one of the sort of honeypots for cycling, um, and it's got some good cycle paths through it. We'll be gathering there at about 2 p.m., and this is all to be confirmed because okay. we're waiting for final permission. And then we're going to pedal, or if you haven't got a bike, walk or scoot or rollerblade or whatever you've got, yep. um, down um, over the bridge and along the Royal Mile, all the way down to Holyrood, and then we're going to have a big picnic.
1: Great. Okay, well, if you can't make it to the big ride in London and you're you're not far away from Edinburgh, then get along to the Meadows after lunch on the 28th, that's a Saturday, 28th of April. Sally Hinchcliffe, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Shereo. Well, Sergey. It's all happening, isn't it? Remind us when the Velenote London is going to be.
2: 23 of June. The The
1: 23rd of June. Yes,
2: yes, it's the night between 23 and 24. And
1: do do people, can it just turn up and go or do people need to get tickets or register or how does it work?
2: Yes, people need to register at our site, velonote.org or at the site of London Festival of Architecture. They they also have a small page dedicated to our event and um, I I hope we will we'll have a lot of fun i think it's going to be brilliant
1: yeah yeah i think it's going to be brilliant thanks for coming good luck with the preparations you're in london all week we've got some great weather laid on for you haven't we and yes. we're going to play out now with sugar pie de santo until next week
0: goodbye i'm gonna be a party popping show stopping Wig flopping, wig flopping, witch for night Listen, I'm on show with the jerkers and bump with the bumpers and play with the player now and stomp, stomp with the stompers. Gonna be a party popping, show stopping, wig flopping.
1: Next on Resonance FM, it's One Life Left.